And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Pastor Al Baker. And Pastor Al, it's a great honor to have you on with us today. Thank you, Dan. It's always a pleasure to be with you as well. I was reading a little bit about you just to refresh my mind, and I relearned the fact that you're ordained in the Presbyterian Church in America, and you've been in the gospel ministry for over 35 years. Your base of operation is in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, you serve as an evangelist with Reformed Evangelistic Fellowship. Um, you've authored several books, and uh, you travel extensively. You preach the gospel, and that's including street preaching, which to most people that would scare the wits out of them. <laughs> and you have, <laughs> you've got three grown sons, you and your wife Winnie, uh, three daughter-in-laws, 12 grandchildren. God has blessed your life, and uh, he apparently has given you a great amount of energy. Um, what I want to talk about today, just to get us started, Pastor Al, is um, you are in the Reformed Evangelistic Fellowship, which means that you hold to the great standards of the faith, such as the Westminster Confession of Faith. That's one of the uh, pinnacles, if you will, of, of the Reformed faith is that God, before the foundation of the world, like where you learn in Ephesians 1, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ according to good pleasure of his will. Um, how do you, do you ever get, put it this way, it's not a question that I have, but sometimes I think I've heard it asked, how do you square that with the idea that we are to go out into all the world and preach the gospel and, and your love for evangelism and the obvious blessing of the Lord on your life in evangelism? You know what I mean there with that question? Yeah, that's, uh, I get that question quite a bit, and uh, I would frame it this way, that if the doctrine of election was not true, then I would give up the ministry today. Mm. And what I mean by that is, I, I know there are people out there whom the Father has chosen and whom the Lord Jesus died for that are going to be saved. I know that. I believe that. Now, I don't know who they are, but God does. And, um, and it's, it's interesting to me. I think we have to keep this in balance. It's very, very easy to get out of balance on this thing. <laughs> there are some in the Reformed faith who are what we might call hyper-Calvinists. They take it way too far. Uh, they believe that, um, well, you know, you have to try to discern who the elect are, and by that they mean... Uh, you know, people who show some interest and in maybe God's working in their life, then you preach to them. Well, no, the gospel is to be offered freely to everyone. And um, and so, you know, you, you mentioned Ephesians chapter 1, but also Romans 8 and Romans 9 are very, very clear, very explicit on the doctrine of election. In fact, in Romans 9, it says... Uh, that God has uh, mercy on whom he has mercy, and he, ha and he has compassion on whom he has compassion. Therefore, it does not depend upon man who wills or man who runs, but on God who shows mercy. Then he goes on to say that God has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. Mm -hmm. Now, if we were just to leave it at that, that sounds somewhat uh, depressing. I mean, it's like, well, they're either... They're they're chosen or they're not, and there's you know we, there's 
nothing that can be done, but we have to look at the next chapter. And what in Romans chapter 10, Paul makes the uh, statement um, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Right. How shall they call upon him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall he preach unless he's sent? So Paul is, <clears throat> Paul is clearly saying there in Romans 10 that we should take the gospel to everybody. Everybody who will who, who will listen, and um, and some of those people are going to believe him. Some of them are not. I think it was the great Charles Spurgeon who said in dealing with this issue, and he was a Baptist, and he clearly believed in the doctrine of election. He says, uh, "Is your is your approaching the kingdom of God?" There's a sign that says, "Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." And then as you go through the gate into salvation. You look behind you, and it says "chosen before the foundation of the world." <laughs> so, so they're both true. And so, um, but I think what happens to us is we we have we lose what I call the complementarity of truth. There are many examples of this in the Bible. There are things that um, seem to be contradictions. For example, we believe that Jesus is one hundred percent God, and He's one hundred percent man. How do we explain that? I cannot explain it. <laughs> we know the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit, that these men who wrote the Bible wrote the Bible, wrote the very words of God, and yet we know they wrote with their own style. Their own, uh, for example, Paul writes very complex Greek. John writes very simple Greek. Um, but so the Bible is the Word of God, but it's written by man, so it's, it's the Word of man as well. So how do we put those two in, in together? We really can't. And the same thing is true with the doctrine of election or what we call human responsibility. Uh, so we have to, and we can't figure these things out. We just know they're both true. The, the believer just, it's, you know, in his heart knows they're true. And so the way that works itself out practically is I go out with great confidence believing that, that there are people who will be saved. Amen. And I offer the gospel freely to them, and I urge them to believe. You know, Paul says in Second Corinthians 5, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. And in Second Corinthians 6, he says, today is the day of salvation. So we should press people to respond to the gospel. We just don't leave it there. We press them, today is the day of salvation. You may not have tomorrow. You should repent and believe today. So there's no... There's no real contradiction here. I just know that that um, I'm to preach the gospel to anybody who will listen, freely offer them the gospel, for, uh, call them to faith and repentance, and, and at the end of the day, God's people will be saved, and I rejoice in that. And then a, in a very practical way, too, Dan, in uh, Acts chapter 18, Paul's been kind of beat up on his second missionary journey in Philippi and Thessalonica, and then he goes to Athens, and he runs into real trouble there. They mock him. Hardly anybody believes. And then he makes his way down to Corinth, and that was a really rough place, very, very wicked. His money'd run out. Now he's going to have to do tent making, it looks like. So it's a tough time for him. And and we, he tells us in 1 Corinthians 2 that he was fearful. Yes, that's right. The great apostle himself, <laughs> as a human being, was fearful. And at that particular time, the Lord Jesus appeared to him in a vision and said, Paul, do not be afraid any longer. 
Go on preaching the gospel here. No one here will attack you or harm you. I have many people in this city. Amen. That was his encouragement. And there are many people in your city and in my city whom the Lord Jesus died for, whom the Father chose, and they're going to be saved, but he works through people. That's always what he does. He works through those who will open their mouths and speak Jesus to people. You know, I sit here thinking um, there's a person at play here that uh, really (laughs) deserves a great amount of credit, and that's the Holy Spirit. And I'm thinking that as you preach, um, and today we're talking with evangelist Al Baker of the Reformed Evangelistic Fellowship. Uh, Al, can you tell us... um, what have you learned about the role of the Holy Spirit in your preaching? Well, he's absolutely essential. And I think that um, a lot of us in the uh, Reformed world uh, sort of don't give him his due. We love to talk about the doctrine of God the Father, and we love to talk about the atoning work of Jesus. And, of course, those are absolutely essential. But we tend to neglect the ministry of the Holy Spirit and The way I put it to people is, this work that God's called us to do to disciple the nations is utterly impossible. And the reason for that is Paul makes quite clear in numerous places, one of which is uh, Romans chapter 3, that none understand, Mm -hmm. none seek for God. All are turned aside. They've all become useless. There's none righteous. There's not even one. They, they're, and Paul says in Ephesians 2, they're dead in their trespasses and sins. A dead man has no hunger. He has no thirst. And that's the way it is with the unbeliever. He's alive physically, but spiritually he's dead. And and how are we going to raise somebody from the dead spiritually? If, if we can't do it. No. It doesn't matter how winsome we are, how clever we are, how smart we are, what kind of great ministry plan we have. God's got to do it, and he works through his Holy Spirit. And Jesus told us in John 14 through 17, the necessity of the Holy Spirit. He says, but it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But he, when he comes, will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So we we have to have the Holy Spirit. And what he does is, is, the, is you share the gospel with someone individually or as a preacher or whatever. So it's really an amazing thing. But what the Holy Spirit does is he enlightens your mind. He gives you insight. He brings to your mind a a passage of Scripture that maybe you could use, an illustration, a story from the past, or whatever. He gives you this on the fly uh, very often. And then also what he does is he enlarges your heart. He gives you a love for the people to whom you're speaking. Your heart warms up, and you love these people, and you (laughs) see them in their trouble. And uh, and a lot of times we don't even know what their troubles are. Maybe they were abused as a child, and maybe they're angry. And we don't know, but the Holy Spirit gives you this supernatural love for people. And then he also loosens your tongue. And, you know, sometimes we're afraid to open our mouths, but when you're trusting the Holy Spirit, he just opens your mouth, and he, he gives you what I call felicity of speech. It just kind of rolls out. <laughs> and it's amazing what he does. Yes. So we're absolutely dependent upon him. And, and he's the one who has to not only convict, but regenerate. And when he regenerates, they will repent and believe. Yes. So uh, it's so absolutely essential for the Holy Spirit to be upon us. 
the model is kind of simple, as I understand it, that here we are, we're dead in our trespasses and sins, and the Holy Spirit does this miraculous work of bringing us to new life. And as a result of that, we hear the gospel and we freely choose Christ. But behind it all is the triune God of the scriptures, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each with their unique works that they do. And it's it's a beautiful thing. Um, do any conversions come to your mind that God has wrought as you've been preaching, do, does, do any of them come to mind that you want to mention over the air? Well, there's been many. Um, whenever I do street preaching, um, it's usually in a very loud, wild, crazy place, like <laughs> I was at the Mardi Gras a couple of weeks ago in New Orleans. And, um, you know, we, we'll see one or two call on the name of the Lord, as I put it, uh, in those venues. We don't see a lot. Uh, but we see a lot of people stop and talk to us, ask questions. Uh, we give them gospel tracts. We try to follow up the best we can. Um, but I remember a couple of years ago I was preaching at, at a University of Alabama football game, and two college girls came by, and they stood and they listened to me as I was preaching, and I was with a couple of other guys who, uh, as I was preaching, walked up to them and began to talk to them one-on-one and uh, and led both of them to Christ at that particular point. Mm. So a lot of times you're working together. You know, there's a one guy preaching, but then there's other people able to do one-on-one work as well. Yeah. I also remember uh, a couple of years ago when I was in Uganda, I was doing some open-air preaching there, and uh, a crowd of about 100 uh, people gathered together, and they were listening, and there's one guy sitting on his motorcycle, uh, you know, they, they do kind of like public transportation on motorcycles. They'll take people around and so forth. So this guy's sitting there, and I could tell he was listening very attentively. And um, at the end, I said, well, what do you think? He goes, well, I'm an agnostic. I don't know if I really believe this stuff or not. <laughs> uh, but we talked with him further, and he said, but I'm very interested. I want to know more about what you're saying. So he called in the name of the Lord right there on the spot. Mm. And so we, you know, we see that, um, we see that some, but uh, not as much as I would like. And I think, I think that um, we just, we live in a day now where there's not a, we need a work of the Holy Spirit across yeah. our nation. We're just not seeing the conversions we did 40 or 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've often said there was a pretty big awakening from about 1966 to about 1975, starting out in Southern California with Chuck Smith and, um, uh, you know, this this uh, Jesus movement with the hippies and so forth. Mm-hmm. And that was my generation. I mean, that, that's, I, I, was, I was a teenager <laughs> at that time, and I wasn't converted. But I was converted in 1972, right in the middle of this whole thing. And, uh, I mean, Chuck Smith baptized thousands of people in the Pacific Ocean. Mm-hmm. And in 1972, the Southern Baptist Convention had their most adult professions of faith and baptisms in their entire history. Hmm. They baptized 375,000 people in one year. That's neat. So there was an amazing movement of God back then, and we not, we're not seeing it today like we did. There are some conversions that we're thankful, but I long to see God do a mighty work again in this nation. We're certainly praying for that, and we're laboring for it. Amen. Um, Amen. 
so that's what we you know we have to be faithful and uh a lot of times people will say to me when you pre when i'm preaching out on the street well does that do any good i mean how many people have you led to jesus and i say everyone that's ever heard me i've led them to jesus they say <laughs> what do you mean i said about i've led them to to jesus in the sense that they're finding out who he is they've got to repent that's right. They've got the call in the name of the Lord. I can't make them do it. Today we're talking with Pastor Al Baker. He's an evangelist with Reformed Evangelistic Fellowship. And Al, uh, you've highlighted the vital role of the Holy Spirit. There's another uh, item that I see in your prayer letters, and that is prayer. And can you tell us a little bit about prayer and what God has done in that? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is in Luke's gospel, uh, the disciples have been with them for some period of time now. And of course, they were, they were Jewish, so they knew how to pray. But they noticed that Jesus' prayers were different than other people's prayers. So, so they said, teach us to pray. So he <laughs> said, okay, here's how you pray. And he gave the Lord's Prayer. Then he talked about the need for persistence and so forth. And, and then uh, he makes this amazing statement. And I think we all know it, but I think we forget how the power of it. He says, ask and you shall receive. That's right. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. He who asks shall receive. He who seeks shall find. He who knocks the door shall be opened to him. He go, then he gives this amazing illustration. He argues for what I call the lesser of the greater. And he says, now if a son asks a father for bread, he'll not give him a stone, will he? If he asks for a fish, he'll not give him a snake, will he? And no, of course not that. A father's going to be uh, kind to his son when he asks for things. He goes, well, if that's true, how much more will the father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so when I pray, uh, again, you know, you begin with adoration to God. You, you adore him. You approach him. You, you, you confirm who he is. You talk about his attributes and so forth. And then you, you thank him for what he's done in your life because Thanksgiving is a powerful thing. There should be confession of sin, but then you begin to make requests. And one of the requests we must ask is for the Holy Spirit to direct us. In Ephesians 6 and Colossians 4, Paul is asking the churches there for God to give him an open door. So we should pray every day, Lord, would you give me an open door to share Jesus with somebody today? And if you're looking for it and you're asking him for it, he'll do it. And then you, you pray very specifically for family members or others to be saved, for God to work in their lives. And I've found that, that a lot of times we have family members or close friends whom we've shared the gospel with, and they really don't want to hear it anymore. And there's really not much more you could say, but you can pray, and you should always pray. And, uh, and, and trust God to work in due time in their lives. You know, you reminded me of something. Um, when you mentioned the Lord's Prayer, and you talked about the Holy Spirit and basically expecting God to do things. Um, there's an old document, I, I alluded to it, the Westminster Confession, and there's uh, the larger catechism that kind of works through the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. And one of those is, is, is very optimistic regarding what, we are to expect God to do, and, and it's question 191. I've got it up here on the, on the computer. It says this, In the second petition, which is, Thy kingdom come, 
acknowledging ourselves and all mankind to be by nature under the dominion of sin and Satan, we pray that the kingdom of sin and Satan may be destroyed. The gospel propagated throughout the world. The Jews called, the fullness of the Gentiles brought in, the church furnished with gospel officers and ordinances, purged from corruption, countenanced and maintained by the civil magistrate, that the ordinances of Christ may be purely dispensed, made effectual to the converting of those yet in their sins, and the confirming, comforting, and building up of those already converted, that Christ would rule in our hearts here and hasten the time of his second coming. And it goes on. And that always encourages me when <laughs> when I read that. And, and I think God wants us to anticipate great things that he is going to do. That's great. Yeah, I agree with that. I've, I've mentioned to people many, many times they should get out the larger catechism and go through uh, what they have to say about those six petitions, because you're right, it is marvelous. It, every phrase is, is, is full of meaning and power, and it is very positive. And we, we should pray expecting God to answer. Um, I always remind people, you know, Jesus said you're to be like little children as you enter the kingdom of heaven, and little children just believe God. I mean, uh, you, you can think back, your audience, you think back to your children. Maybe you've got young children now, or you had them at one yeah. point. And they're audacious in what they ask. It's almost embarrassing sometimes <laughs> what they ask. And God answers their prayers, and they just believe God. You know, our problem is the older we get, we get cynical. Amen, that's we, true. you know, they're beat up by the world, you know. But, but we should have that kind of faith, and we should expect, now, if we're praying with the heart of Jesus, and I always say the heart of Jesus is, is can be found in those six petitions of the Lord's Prayer. And then we pray in the name of Jesus, that is, the crucified Lord, who, uh, crucified Savior who gives us access to the Father, and the ascended Lord who takes our prayers to the Father. And then we pray the Word of God because the Word of God is the truth, that is His will. And then we learn to pray in the Holy Spirit, and we pray in faith that He's going to answer. Mm. Um you know, in, in Matthew 21, he says, whatever you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. Now, he's saying in the context of praying with the heart of Jesus, praying in the name of Jesus, um, praying the word of God, praying uh, in the spirit, as you pray in that way, then he's going to answer. And uh, I think that, that we've got to expect God to answer our prayers. You know, we've got two minutes left, and I'm thinking uh, there may be someone today that's heard our discussion and is uh, inclined towards the Lord. Uh, What words would you have for that person today? Well, I would say that um, if, if if you're listening today and you're not yet in Christ or you're not sure, I would say, listen to the words of Jesus. He says, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble heart. And uh, he will he will come to you, and he will give you rest for your soul. So just surrender to him. And, and Paul says in uh, Romans chapter 10, if we confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that he was raised from the dead, we will be saved. So confess your need of him. Believe from the heart that he really was raised from the dead. And he promises... He'll save you on the spot if you'll do that. Amen. It's an amazing promise that he gives. It's simple. It's not complex. 
humble yourself. I confess Jesus as Savior and Lord. I believe he was raised from the dead. I trust him, and he'll save you. Amen. Uh, my dear brother, Pastor Al Baker, has been our guest today. And Pastor Al, could you give us a web address where someone can go and look you up and maybe get in contact with you? Yes, yeah, so they could go to um, uh, Reformed Evangelistic Fellowship uh, website, and I've got a lot of devotionals on there that I write. As you know, I write one every week, and there's a lot of sermons on there, maybe several hundred sermons I've preached. The the seven books I've written are all listed there. So the Reformed Evangelistic Fellowship website, and they can find my uh, stuff there quite easily. Very good. And if there's any question and you can't find it, just contact us here at the station, and we'll help you get in touch with Pastor Al Baker. Uh, Pastor Al, thank you for joining us today. It's been great, Dan, always, and may the Lord continue to bless you as well. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. Sing with me. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. From every people and tribe, from every nation and tongue, He has made us a kingdom and priest to God to reign with the Son. Is He worthy? Is He worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is He worthy? Is He worthy? Is he worthy of this? He is. Is he worthy?